0: Morning, we'll be beginning our study of Genesis together. We'll be in it all year, so full year, fall and spring, we'll be looking at Genesis. When I was in high school, when I was a junior in high school, I decided to run for treasurer. Of the junior class. And as part of that, if you're going to run for student body council, you had to give a speech to the whole junior class. And at my high school, that was over 300 people, pretty big class. And so I worked hard on my speech. I, I put together the best speech I could. I wrote it all out. I jazzed it up with a few jokes from my youth pastor and I practiced it over and over and over and over again. And then the day came, this, this big day where I walk into the gymnasium and there's 300 kids there and the principal hands me the mic and oh my gosh, I was so afraid, just terrified. And as I'm walking into the middle of the room to give this speech, I asked myself, Blake, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Are you crazy? And as I looked over the students, all of a sudden my eyes settled on a few girls who were particularly cute and I remembered oh yeah, that's why, that's why I'm doing this because I don't just wanna be the nerdy guy who helps them with their math homework. I wanna be the nerdy guy who balances the books for the junior class because that's way more prestigious. (laughs) And so I psyched myself up, it's time to do this, grab the mic, give my speech. I won the election. It was a really good day for me. Now, I didn't get any dates out of it, but at least those girls knew my name for one day and that made it totally worth it. And here's the application to Genesis. (laughs) When you're starting to do something hard, something that's difficult, it is helpful to know why it's worth doing. Genesis is hard. It's really difficult to study, and it's a long book, 50 chapters. We're going to spend the whole year in this thing. It's controversial. It's full of all kinds of history about people who died a long time ago on the other side of the world. It's a tough book to study, and so as we enter into the book of Genesis this morning, we should ask ourselves, why? Why are we going to study Genesis for a year why is it worth the time and effort to study this book and dig deeply into it this year? I'm going to give you three answers to that question. Three reasons why Genesis is worth your time and effort to read it, study it, and spend this year with us. First reason actually comes from my kids. My twins are three years old now, and for you parents of young kids, what is a young child's favorite word? It's actually a question. Why? Why is the grass green, Daddy? Why is the sky blue? Daddy, why do I have to wear clothes? Why do we have to go to bed? Why do I have to eat broccoli? Why do I have to go to school this morning? Why do I have to go to church? Why to everything? They're always asking why. A few days ago, my little girl Gracie asked us, Daddy, why do I have to be human instead of a fairy? I, I don't know the answer to that. I've got, no. It's a good question. You can ask God that. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, they'll ask these questions, and sometimes it, it gets fatiguing because they'll ask them over and over again. They'll string them together ad nauseum. But, but to be honest, I love that my kids ask me why. I love that my kids are curious. I I love that Luke and Gracie are not content to just accept life as it appears to be. They want to know why. Why are we here? Why does life work the way it does? Why do we do the things that we do? I love that curiosity in them. And frankly, it really saddens me that somewhere in the process of growing up, most adults stop asking why. Most of us just, they stop asking. They stop asking the deep questions of life. They stop asking why because really early in life they figure out that the world doesn't have any good answers to those kind of questions. The world doesn't have satisfying answers to the deepest questions of life like, why do you exist? What is your purpose in life? Is there any meaning to life? Why is life so hard and full of suffering? Why do we die? The world has no good answers to any of those questions, so most people just give up. They stop trying to figure out life's deepest mysteries, deepest questions. Charles Schultz is the guy who wrote the Peanuts comic strip, so the Snoopy guy, for those of you who are really young. Um, he was actually quite the philosopher. He had a really good picture of human life, but he was a secular humanist. He, he did not believe the Bible, and here's what he concluded towards the end of his life. I don't know the meaning of life. I, I don't know why we are here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it, and it can be very grim, and I do not want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. He had no answer. Because the world has no answer to the deepest questions of life. So people just give up asking. The world does not have satisfying answers to our deepest questions. But Genesis does. That's the first reason we're going to spend a year in this book. Because Genesis is designed to answer all of the deepest questions of life. The really important questions that people wonder. Genesis answers, why does the universe exist? Why do I exist? The biggest why question there is, Genesis will tell you. It answers the question, is there any meaning to life? Yes, there is, declares Genesis. It'll tell us what it is. Is there a God and can I know him? Does God love me? Does he even like me? Genesis will answer that. Why is my life so hard and painful? Why do we have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And finally, how should I live my life? Genesis answers all of those questions and more. The deepest, biggest, hardest questions of life, Genesis answers. It's the answer to all the questions that our world has given up hope of ever answering. So the first reason we'll spend a year in this book. Second reason we'll spend a year in this book is because not only does Genesis answer the, the hardest, most important questions of life, but Genesis also speaks to the biggest issues we face in modern 21st century America. All the big issues that you guys are, are reading about online, that you're talking about at school or at the workplace or in your family, all of those issues... Come up in Genesis. Genesis speaks to all the big issues of our lives. It's gonna talk to us about marriage. How do you define it? How do you have a good one? It'll talk to us about parenting. How do we raise good kids? It'll talk to us about abortion, about how you treat people with severe disabilities, about environmentalism. Should Christians be environmentalists? Genesis will tell us. Talks to us about work and career, how you find satisfaction in your job. Talks to you about justice. What is justice? How do you work for justice? It'll help us understand why is there so much violence and racism and warfare in the world and what in the world do we do about it it'll talk to us about the depression and addiction and the loneliness that are so prevalent in our society today and finally it'll talk to us about the mid-east conflict and and why we can't seem to find peace between jews and arabs did you know that conflict goes all the way back to genesis genesis 17 it's right there that's where it started genesis was written 3500 years ago and yet it might as well have been written yesterday because it speaks to all of the biggest issues our society faces. If you open a newspaper today and look at any given story in that newspaper, chances are very good that Genesis has something to say about that person or event or issue. Genesis is incredibly relevant to our lives. And to get philosophical on you for a moment, you might say that, that Genesis gives us a worldview. What, what's a worldview? A fancy word. Worldview is just a pair of glasses. Worldview is the glasses through which you see the world, through which you see reality and judge what is true and what is false. Well, Genesis gives you God's glasses, God's worldview, his way of seeing truth and reality so that you can accurately and intelligently interact with the issues that our society faces. So we'll spend a year in Genesis because it's all about our lives today. Third reason why we're going to spend a year in Genesis, because it lays the foundation for the whole rest of the Bible. If you want to understand the whole rest of the Bible, you've got to begin in Genesis, because it lays the foundation the whole Bible is built on. A little something about me um, I love to go see movies, but I hate arriving late to the theater. I hate it. I'd rather not see the movie than show up late. If I'm going to the movie theater with my wife and I look at my watch and I notice that we are late, I get tense. I get frustrated. She can see it on my face because I know I'm going to walk into that movie and the first part of it's already going to be over. And now I'm going to be confused in the whole movie. I'm going to be wondering about what did I miss and and who are these people and why are they doing all this stuff? And I don't know because I came late. Reading the Bible without understanding Genesis is like walking into a movie half over. You're never going to understand it because you don't know how it began. You don't, it's never going to make sense to you. Yet that's what so many Christians do. Where do most Christians begin? They begin with the New Testament, right? They begin with the Gospels, with the story of Jesus, as if that was when the story began, when Jesus came to earth. No, it began thousands of years before that. If you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand God, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to go back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Let me put it to you this way. Let me help you understand what's going on with Genesis. The Bible is a story. You may not have ever thought of the Bible like that. The Bible is not just a, a collection of 66 random books that happened to make it into this thing. The Bible is one story, one overall unified story that spans all of human history. And so, like any good story, the Bible has, has a plot, all stories have a plot and look something like this. I don't know if you ever thought about how a story works. Every good story, whether a novel or Harry Potter or a movie or any good story, it begins in a happy place. Got a happy introduction. Things look good. But then something bad happens. There's a crisis, a plot complication. Things go downhill. And then the bulk of the story is the struggle to fix what broke that culminates in a climax, in a resolution that gets you back to happy days at the end of the story. Well, the Bible is a story, so this is how the Bible works. This is the story of the Bible. The Bible begins in the garden. The world is made by God, but then very short time later, humanity blows it. The world is ruined by the crisis of sin. Things are broken. And then the bulk of the story of the Bible is how God begins to fix what we broke. How he redeems the world, that struggle culminates at the cross that leads us to the climax and the resolution of the book of Revelation when God remakes the garden and places man back into it. So if this is the story of the whole Bible from beginning to end, then there's Genesis. The whole first third of the story is found in the book of Genesis. That's where the world is made. That's where sin enters the picture and breaks things. That's where God begins this program, this process of redeeming, of fixing what we have destroyed. If you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand Jesus, you have to begin in Genesis because that's where the foundation is laid for the rest of the Bible. If you don't understand Genesis, the Bible's never going to make sense to you. In fact, the Bible without Genesis is absolutely pointless. It's senseless unless you understand the first book. So we're going to spend a year digging deeply into the book of Genesis so that we can understand it, so that it can change us and transform us and help us to know our God and our Savior. That's the goal of this fall and this spring. So let's start a study. Let's start it right now. Let's start with the most important question, the question you would ask anytime you're about to pick up a book and read it. What question do you ask? What's the story about? What is this story that I'm reading about? What is Genesis about? What is this story about? So if you walked into a church and asked most Christians, what's the story of Genesis about? Uh, Many of them would respond, well, it is about history the early history of the human race. Or they might respond, well, it's, it's about science. It's about how the world was made and how it works. I don't actually think either of those answers are correct. I don't think Genesis is primarily about history or science, even though it tells us a lot of historical things and, and even some scientific things. Genesis is not primarily about history or science. If you want to understand what the book of Genesis is really about, you have to go back in time. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of the original audience. You need to see life as, as they saw life. What were they facing? What, what struggles were going on in their lives when they received this book, this book of Genesis? Let me walk you through that. and give you a little background this morning about the book of Genesis. So Genesis is part of your Bible that we call the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, that's the first five books. So Genesis through Deuteronomy, it was written at one time. It's one overall thing, even though it's five separate books in your Bible. Uh, The Pentateuch was written by a guy named Moses. So Moses wrote it. Uh, The Bible is very clear on that. Both the Old Testament and New Testament declare outright, Moses wrote it. Jesus himself ascribes the Pentateuch to Moses multiple times. Now some of you have taken a class on the history of religion or uh, on the Old Testament and you have heard that there is much in the Pentateuch that could not have been written by Moses. Like some some cities that have names that weren't around when Moses lived or even the account of Moses' own death at the end of the Pentateuch and that is true. There are sections that Moses didn't write because what happened is God inspired scribes after Moses' time to edit his work and add uh, more modern place names so that people would understand where things are happening and to to include Moses' death because God wanted people to know how the dude died. The book of the Pentateuch, though, was written by Moses. None of that fact changes changes the reality that Moses wrote the whole book of the Pentateuch, including Genesis. So Genesis was written by a guy named Moses, and that means it was written about 3,500 years ago, because that's when Moses lived, around 1450 BC. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, about 1450 BC, to the first generation of Israelites who left Egypt. So, so let me tell you a little bit about their history so you will understand this audience to whom Moses wrote. The Israelites, where do they come from? Well, we'll learn in Genesis. We'll study this in detail. The nation of Israel began actually with just one guy. Do anybody know what's the name of the one guy that started out the nation of Israel? Abraham. God chose a man named Abraham. To build a nation out of. And God made some outrageous promises to this guy, incredible promises, including promising him a piece of land that we call Canaan or, or the promised land. It includes modern day Israel, but is much more than that. He said, Abe, this is your land. It's, this will always be your land. It is your family's, your people's land. And so as Genesis progresses, that land gets handed down from Abraham to his son, Isaac, to his son, Jacob, to Jacob's 12 sons. But at the end of Genesis, a drought enters the promised land. There's no rain. And with no rain comes no food. And so God leads the family of Abraham out of the promised land and to the nation of Egypt where God had prepared food for them. We'll study that story in detail. So the Israelites are in Egypt for 430 years. And that's where we pick up the story in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. When Exodus kicks in, the Egyptians have gotten tired of the Israelites living with them. And so at some point, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites and began to oppress them and kill a lot of them. Life was awful for the Israelites. And so the Israelites begin to cry out to God, please deliver us. And so God sends Moses to be their deliverer. Moses comes and talks to the king of Egypt, a guy we call Pharaoh, that was his name, uh, and says to Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, no, that's not gonna happen. I like having slaves. And so God does some crazy stuff through Moses. Moses does uh, some little things and God works and sends 10 plagues upon Egypt and, and it crushes the Egyptians. And finally, at the end of the plagues, Pharaoh is finally willing to let the Israelites go. And so finally, they leave Egypt. They leave Egypt and head back for the promised land. Here's a map of that part of the world, just to have a sense of, of where things are happening. They leave Egypt and head for the promised land, but what's in between? The desert. The wilderness, called the Sinai Peninsula. It's really barren land. A number of years ago, when I was in college, I actually had the privilege of going over there and seeing it for myself. This is what the Sinai Peninsula looks like. And, and not this isn't just like a particularly dry, awful picture. It's all like this. It's, it's pretty awful. It's really hot. It's really dry. It's really inhospitable. It was pretty to look at as long as you were inside the air-conditioned bus looking out the window. But, but the thought of being left behind by the bus at a restaurant stop was terrifying because I couldn't live there. It's desert. It's wilderness. And so not surprisingly, uh, not very long after leaving Egypt and heading into the desert, the Israelites began to struggle. They began to suffer. They, they began to, to struggle with fear and doubt. And, and here's why they were struggling with fear and doubt. Um, during their 430 years in Egypt, the Israelites heard and learned about a lot of God's See, the Egyptians had a lot of gods. They were polytheistic religion, so they worshiped a ton of gods, all of whom were uh, surprisingly a lot like you and me. They were limited. They were part of creation, like the sun and moon and the Nile River. Uh, They were deceitful. They were selfish. They were immoral. They were pretty mean, all in all. And so those are the gods that the Israelites have heard about, and these gods of the Egyptians really didn't care about people. It's interesting, in Egyptian religion, as in all other ancient religions other than the God of the Bible, humanity is either an afterthought or an accident in creation. There was no plan to create you. You came out as an afterthought or an accident. Really, the only reason you're here is to be slave labor to care for the whims of the gods, so the gods will have nothing to do. That's why we exist, according to all other ancient religions. And so here are the Israelites going out into the desert, following the God of Moses into an incredibly inhospitable place, and that leaves them wondering, can I trust the God of Moses? Or is he going to be like all the gods of Egypt? Is he just going to leave us to die out here? Or can I trust that he will provide for me, that he will protect me in the wilderness? Can I trust that when I get to the promised land and face the massive armies of the Canaanites who outnumber us, can I trust that this God will protect me and deliver me? Can I trust the God of Moses or is he like all the other gods? That's what motivated Moses to write Genesis. It's meant to inspire faith, to inspire belief in in the hearts of these people who are struggling in the desert. Can they trust this God? to provide for them and protect them. With that in mind, what that helps us to understand is contrary to how we so often think about the book of Genesis, we've got to realize Genesis was not written to a convention of historians or scientists. The book of Genesis was written to a people on a journey of faith through a wilderness of struggling and pain. That's what Genesis, not to historians and scientists, but to people like us who are struggling to make it through the wilderness of life, through the pain, through the suffering, can we trust God or not? That's the question Genesis is designed to answer. And so as we walk through Genesis, what we discover is that this book is not primarily about history or science or even theology. Even though it will say a lot about each of those, that's not primarily what it's about. The book of Genesis is primarily about a relationship a relationship between the one true God and his struggling people. That's Genesis from beginning to end. All 50 chapters are about a relationship, a surprising relationship between one God who is not at all like the Egyptian gods and his struggling, weak, needy people. That's the book of Genesis. All about relationship, and it records the beginning of that relationship. And then it records how that relationship got broken by sin, and then it records how God begins to fix that relationship through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. All of Genesis is about a relationship. And the book of Genesis tells us about both parties in that relationship. It reveals a lot to us about God and about us in particular, Moses wants us to understand three things about this one true God. First of all, that he is powerful. That this God is not like the God of the Egyptians. The gods of the Egyptians were part of creation. They were limited. They were weak. That's not your God. Your God is almighty. Almighty. That's particularly revealed in the first two chapters of Genesis, where the one true God is not part of creation. He makes all things, not even by some work of power, but just by his spoken word. He speaks and matter and energy come into existence. He is limitless. He has infinite power to create. The God that you meet in Genesis 1 and 2, I love how Umberto Casuto, you'll see him often, he's one of my favorite commentators, puts it. The purpose of Genesis, particularly the first two chapters, is to teach us that the whole world and all that it contains were created by the word of the one true God, according to his will, which operates without constraint. Throughout the book of Genesis, Moses wants to convince you that your God is without constraint. There's nothing he can't do. There's no problem too big for your God. He creates by speech. You have the power of God revealed, particularly in the first two chapters, but that's not, it's not limited to the first two chapters. God's power is displayed throughout the book. So as soon as we get past creation, you're gonna see God's power in judgment, at the flood and at Babel and at Sodom and Gomorrah. You're gonna see God's power to a 90-year-old woman who he's gonna make pregnant, Sarah. It's actually really fascinating. Throughout Genesis, one of God's favorite places to display power is in the womb of barren women. He's going to solve that problem over and over again because he loves doing that. You're going to see God's power supernaturally provide for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph to supernaturally prosper them. You're going to see God's power towards the Israelites and towards the Egyptians delivering them from famine and from drought. God's power is throughout the book of Genesis. Moses wanted his audience to understand God is powerful enough to take care of you in the Sinai desert. He can do anything because he is without restraint, without limit. So God's Almighty power is the first thing that Genesis reveals to us about him. Second thing that we learn about our God in Genesis is that he is gracious. One of my other favorite commentaries on the book says that the key word of the book of Genesis is grace. It's actually easy to remember, GG, Genesis, grace. Uh, that's true. Genesis is replete with the grace of God. What, what is God's grace? What, what does that mean, that word, grace? Grace means getting something good you don't deserve, That's what God gives to humanity from beginning to end of Genesis. Creation, it's grace. Did you deserve to get the earth? No, it's a gift. God made it for you out of grace. As soon as mankind falls into sin, God shows up into grace. He delivers Adam and Eve. He begins the program of restoration. God gives grace to Noah and delivers his family. God gives grace to, to Abraham in choosing him to receive these promises. Did you know that before God showed up to Abraham, do you know what Abraham was doing? He was an idolater, we learn in the book of Joshua. He worshiped all those awful gods. That was Abraham. He did not deserve to meet the one true God. That was an act of grace. Time and time again, God is gonna show up and give grace to the forefathers of the nation of Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It's actually one thing that's really interesting you'll see as you go through the book of Genesis is that the, the forefathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are going to do a lot of bad things in this book. Over and over again, they're going to do a lot of bad stuff. It's full of of their sins. What is interesting is that God is going to say almost nothing about their sin. God is not going to judge any of them for their sin. Why is that? Because God wanted the Bible to begin with grace, not judgment. He'll get to judgment. It's coming in the future. But he wanted the story to begin with grace. And so it's full of grace. It's all grace throughout the book. Men and women receiving grace upon grace from God. If you wanted to summarize the book of Genesis and really get it in your head, you'd be hard-pressed to do better than Paul's summary on Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more that's Genesis. Sin is going to increase. There's some awful stuff in Genesis. And yet for every increase of sin, God's grace excels. So God's grace, key theme throughout the book of Genesis. We're going to see the unlimited grace of God. Third thing that God reveals to us about himself in the book of Genesis is that the one true God is absolutely faithful. Absolutely faithful to keep his word, to keep his promises. God is going to make a lot of promises in this book over and over again. He, he likes to make promises. So he's gonna make promises to, to Adam and to Eve and to Cain and to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Sarah. And throughout the book, he makes a whole lot of promises. And what's fascinating is that he keeps all of them. I actually see that as the Bible plays out. God keeps all of his promises. He keeps his promises even when we do things that should revoke his promises, which the, the forefathers of the nation of Israel did a lot of bad stuff that should have annulled the promises of God. God says, man, I'm fed up with you guys. Take the promises back, but he never does. It's interesting, we'll look at Abraham in particular. Abraham's gonna do bad things that just make a mess of his life, that actually risks everything that he holds dear. And what God is gonna do, instead of taking the promise back, God is gonna step in supernaturally to fix the mess that Abraham has made of his life so that all of God's promises can come true. Because in the book of Genesis, God wants you to understand there is absolutely nothing you could ever do that would cause God to take back the promises He's made you. He will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to fulfill the promises He's made to us. So the God that we meet in the pages of the book of Genesis, the one true God, is utterly unlike the gods of the Egyptians. He is all-powerful, he is infinitely gracious, and he is surprisingly faithful to a people who are not. So we learn a lot about God, that side of the relationship. We also learn a lot about us. In the book of Genesis, we meet ourselves for the first time. We meet humanity, and God reveals a number of, of things about us. Genesis, in particular, reveals three things about the human race. First, it reveals that we are exalted, You are exalted in the book of Genesis. What Genesis wants us to understand is that that humanity is not like the rest of creation. You are not an improved version of a primate. You are special. You are unique. You are above all the rest of creation. In fact, you are the pinnacle of creation. The Egyptians believed that humanity was nothing more than an afterthought, that God cared nothing for human beings, that we were nothing more than slave labor for the gods. Genesis screams, no, you are the pinnacle. You are the glory of God in creation because you are his image bearers. Unlike anything else in existence, you bear the image, the imprint of God upon you. You are exalted When David meditated upon Genesis 1, it led him to write Psalm 8, one of the most beautiful psalms you'll find in Scripture where he declares, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. What we will learn from the book of Genesis is that creation was made for us. And we were made to rule over it because we are the pinnacle of all that God has ever made. Humanity is exalted in the book of Genesis. There is no greater honor that God has ever bestowed on anything than what he has bestowed on humanity. We are exalted. It's the first thing to learn about us. The second thing is not quite so happy. Because as Genesis progresses, as we move through the story, we learn that Adam and Eve were not content with this honor. This was not enough for them. They wanted to be gods themselves. And so they fell into sin trying to make gods of themselves. And that caused the entire human race to be not only exalted but now also broken. From Genesis 3 on, we are a broken part of creation Genesis is going to tell us about the origin of sin and evil and pain and suffering and warfare and racism and bigotry. And it's going to put the fault of all of those things squarely at our feet. Because God didn't make any of that. God did not make evil. He did not make sin. That's not his will. That's us, human beings. We chose to rebel against the grace of God and were broken by sin as a result. It broke every part of our lives. It broke our relationships. It broke everything. And as a result, the story of Genesis is gonna have some really sad parts. As we go through Genesis, we're gonna see a lot of sin. We're gonna see a lot of evil. We're gonna see a lot of tragedy as we walk through Genesis. It's actually fascinating if you compare the beginning of Genesis with the end. In the first chapters of Genesis, where is mankind? In the garden. At the very end of Genesis, the last verse of the book, He's in the grave. It's actually the story of Joseph being buried. So Genesis goes from the garden to the grave because we did that. We chose sin and broke what God had made. And so the tragic story as we go from garden to grave. But the good news is that sin and death do not have the last word in the book of Genesis. The final thing that God wants us to know about ourselves is that, yes, we're broken, but we are also loved. We are infinitely loved by the one true God. The book of Genesis is full of the love of God right from the first pages when God creates. I want you to think about something for a moment. Why did God create? Why did he make something? Why did he make the universe? Why did he make you and me? Well, if you think about God, well, if we had a God who was one person, it's like the the God of Islam, for example, then before you existed, God was alone Before us, God was alone. He was lonely. He didn't have anybody to be in relationship with. God did not know love because it was just God alone. And so he created so that that would be fixed. But that's not the God we worship because our God is Trinity. Our God is Father, Son, and Spirit always for all of time enjoying infinite love and fellowship with one another. God has never been lonely. Your God has never been alone. Your God did not create you because he was bored or alone or lonely or wanted somebody to love. He's always had love. He's always had perfect fellowship within the Trinity. So why did God make us? Because at some point in time, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, having enjoyed infinite love for all eternity, decided they wanted a creature to share it with. And so they made you. They made humanity so that there would be a creature who could know and enjoy the glorious love of God forever. Genesis is full of the love of God. It begins in creation, but then we blow it. We choose sin, and yet God's love motivates him not to give up on us. Instead, he begins the program of redemption on the same day that Adam and Eve sinned. He begins to redeem them, and then he's going to choose Abraham, and he's going to bless Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, and he's going to begin this process of redemption through the promises he made to these men. It's love that motivated him to do that, and then it's love that motivated God 1,500 years after the life of Moses to send his son Jesus to finally fix what we had broken. Genesis is full of the love of God, the absolute, infinite, unbound love of God. Moses wants us to understand that our God is nothing like the gods of the other nations. He is a God of infinite power, of limitless grace, who is always utterly faithful to us, who loves us despite the fact that we are broken and has exalted us above all the rest of creation. That's the God we meet in the book of Genesis because Genesis is all about this relationship. Not primarily about history or science or theology, it's about a relationship, a shocking, surprising, unexpected relationship between the one true God and his struggling people. So as we go through Genesis. This year, this fall and spring, we will see that relationship play out. We'll look at Genesis in six parts, just to give you kind of a map of where we are headed this year. For the next few weeks, next six weeks, actually, we're going to be in just the first two chapters looking at the beginning of the story, as God made the world. Then we'll spend about six weeks talking about what we did our fall into sin and what that resulted in. Then we're gonna talk about the choosing of Abraham as God selects this family through whom to bless the whole world. Then we'll see the sad story of Jacob for a while as that family falls into really crazy dysfunction. Then we'll see Joseph and how God raised up one of the members of that family to deliver and provide for them. And then at the end of next spring, we'll see the ending of the story. When God sent Jesus to fulfill all the promises found in the book of Genesis. Because that's what Jesus' life is about. You may not know that. Jesus' life begins in Genesis. Because that's when he begins to fulfill all that God had promised. So that's where we're headed this year. I want us to end this morning by asking and answering really the most important question that you answer anytime you're studying scripture. And that's, how do I respond? How do I apply this? What do I do with this? How does God want us to respond to the truths we find in the book of Genesis? Well, the same way that he wanted the Israelites to respond. 3,500 years ago as they walked through the desert, what did God want from them? What did he want them to do? Very simple. Believe. Believe. That's what Genesis is about. Believe. Because remember, these people, they are struggling through a wilderness of pain and suffering, of doubt and fear, just like us. We are just like they were. We're walking through the wilderness of 21st century life full of loneliness and anxiety, stress, full of heartache and disappointment and disillusionment, full of temptation and suffering and pain. And what God is challenging us to do as we study Genesis this year is just believe. Just believe that that he exists, that there is a God and that he is a God who is all powerful, who is so powerful, in fact, that he can fix all of your problems that he is so gracious that he can forgive all of your sins, that he is so utterly faithful to his promises, that he will provide for you and protect you no matter what you do. Genesis challenges us to believe. For some of you, that will be believing for the first time. You've walked through life and so far you have not had a moment when you chose to believe that there is a God who exists, who is powerful, and who loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for your sins and rise from the dead to give you eternal life. I pray that this morning would be the moment when you believe. When you finally believe that God's love isn't something you earn. It's yours for free. It's yours because Jesus died for you. The moment that you believe that, you have the eternal life that he purchased with his own blood. If there's anything keeping you back from believing that blessed truth that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you could have eternal life, please come talk to me or another leader, someone here this morning. That's where faith begins with the gospel, with the good news about Jesus. For those of us who have believed the gospel, we've trusted in in Jesus for eternal life, the challenge for us this year as we study Genesis is to grow in our faith because that's what the Christian life is about. It's, it's about growing to trust God more and more, to trust him for more parts of your life. Okay, so you have trusted God for eternal life. That's, that's really good. That's most important. But now that you've trusted him for eternal life, will you trust him to, to heal your marriage? Will you trust him to help you find a spouse? Will you trust him to get you through school? Will you trust Him to take care of your finances? Will you trust Him to watch over your health? Will you trust Him to help you find a job? Will you trust Him to watch over your kids and protect them? Will you trust Him to to help you overcome that addictive, dark sin in your life? Will you trust Him to help you have victory over loneliness or or anxiety or depression? Will you trust God to, to help you to be courageous to walk with Jesus no matter what the cost? You've trusted God for eternal life. Now will you trust him with your entire life and every day of it? That's what Genesis is designed to do for us, to grow our faith so that we would believe God more and more deeply with every part of our being. And so to that end, let me challenge you. If you want to grow in your faith in God this year, I wanna give you a couple things to think about. First of all, I encourage you to go through Genesis with us. If you really want to understand Genesis, if you want to to learn about this God in Genesis and grow closer to this God of Genesis, then you can't remain passive. It can't just be, come on Sunday morning and I preach to you and there you go. That's not how you grow in scripture. You need to invest in it. You need to read it. You need to meditate upon it. And so I want to encourage you to read Genesis with us. Now, if you'd like to do that for next week, read the first couple chapters. That'll get you started. Also, each week what I'm going to do is a few days before I preach, I'm going to send out a list of the passages to read for Sunday, and then after I preach, I'm going to send out quotes, passages, and questions to ponder and consider to take you deeper in your study of this book. So if you would like those resources that I'm going to be giving during our study of Genesis, you can follow our Facebook page for the church, Grace Bible Church, or follow me on Twitter, Grace Bible Blake. And I will send you those resources. So passages before the sermon, questions and quotes after the sermon to take you deeper into your study. Don't be passive. Invest in Genesis. You'll never understand Jesus until you learn Genesis. Okay, so read and study Genesis with us this year. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is while you're here at Grace, get connected with other believers. You see, this thing we call faith, um, faith isn't designed to grow in isolation. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. God designed faith to grow in community. Our faith grows when we spend time with other believers, other people who believe. As we spend time with them, it helps encourage all of our faith to grow. That's why there's no such thing in the Bible as a lone ranger Christian. It's not how Christianity works. There's no lone ranger Christian because if you try to do life on your own, guess what happens? Your faith withers and you get owned by this world. Because you get beat up. That's not how life was designed to be lived. You must live it in community with other believers. So get connected in some kind of small group. That may be through an organization on campus, maybe through your sorority or fraternity, or we'd love it if it's with us. We would love to have you join us. Now, we seem like a big church. We're actually kind of just a, a big church of small groups. Lots of small groups of believers doing life together, growing in faith together. So if you would like to join us and get connected here at Grace, we gave you uh, this fancy little card this morning that says get connected at the top. Hopefully you got it. If you didn't, there's lots more, I assume in the foyer, unless we ran out because I don't think we anticipated this this morning. So get connected. It gives you lots of details about how you can join a small group here at our church and get plugged in and grow in your faith. If you don't have one of these, that's okay. Just go to our website. Grace-bible.org, click Get Connected. It will walk you through all the different small group options and you can choose one that works for you. Or a new thing that we're gonna do this morning, you'll notice as you walk around that there's a lot of people that have a sticker on their shirt that says, Ask Me How to Get Connected. They really want you to ask them how, how to get connected here at Grace, not disingenuous. They, they want you to ask. They're leaders who happen to lead small groups here at Grace, they're a resource for you. They can help you to, to know how to get connected at our church. So look for someone with a ask me how to get connected sticker. Get plugged in, whether at Grace or somewhere else, get plugged in with other believers because that is how you grow faith in community with other followers of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the book of Genesis and we thank you for the God that it reveals to us. We thank you that you exist, that you are not a myth, you are not a fairy tale, you are real. We praise you that you are all-powerful, that you are limitless and without restraint. We praise you that you are gracious to us, that you give us what we don't deserve. We praise you that you are always faithful to us. We praise you that you love us and have exalted us. Even though we are broken, we praise you, God, that your grace sent your son to die for us and set us free from our sins. So Father, we we lift up everyone in this room, Lord. Anyone here who has not yet encountered Jesus, who has not yet received the free gift of eternal life through belief in Jesus' death for their sins, please, God, let this be the morning of their salvation. We pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gift you have offered us in Jesus Christ. I pray that they wouldn't try to earn your love, but that they would receive it as a free gift through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. And for all of us who have trusted in Jesus, Lord, we come before you weak and needy. Lord, we are overwhelmed so often by fear and by anxiety. We are tempted, Lord, we are weighed down with guilt. And so, Lord, we come before you and we pray that you would grow our faith Faith. help us to trust you more and more deeply to take care of every part of our lives not just our eternity but every moment of every day help us lord to learn to walk with you in faith to learn to trust you for the big things and the small things in life i pray that our study of genesis would transform us that you would grow us as a people who believe more and more deeply in you and are willing to introduce you to other people i pray father grow us in our study this year In the name of your son and for his glory, honor, and exaltation, we pray. Amen. All right, I encourage you guys, read the first couple chapters of Genesis for next Sunday. God bless you guys. See you next week.